Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 60 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ here, and on this week's episode, Matthew Jacoby and myself run through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. Now, chapter 26 is huge. We start off with the plot to kill Jesus. He is then anointed in Bethany. We have the story about Judas, the Last Supper Passover meal. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. He prays in Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed and arrested He's before the council and Peter denies Jesus at the end of the chapter. So much to get through on this amazing episode. So I'm stoked that you're here with us. Grab your pen, grab your paper if you can. Hopefully you've had a great time going through Thrive this week and you've got some questions and thoughts flowing through. So join us now on this week's episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew, we've got ratings. Do you know we're getting rated on this podcast? <laughs> I, I, it's taken me a while, but I've actually gone out. What do you mean ratings? Well, in the iTunes and Apple podcast universe, mm-hmm. you can go and rate your favourite podcast. Ah, we're being judged. We are. Be- <laughs> well, we're being recommended. We're being oh, recommended. Right. Okay, okay. Well, having said that, we've had 21 ratings. Okay. 20 of them. Five stars. Right. One of them, four stars. Oh. Okay, you can judge us. That's fine. <laughs> I, I want to know who the one who that one person who gave us four stars is, just to bring the average down. But I want to read you, Matt, because I know you don't get across this, and I, and I, think, you'd, I think you'd like this. Uh, from Anonymous, uh, digging it and punning it, apparently. Mm. Loving Deeper. Five stars. I'm only a couple of episodes in so far, but it's definitely a quality listen. The hosts are both knowledgeable and work well together. Now to find the Thrive devotional to enhance the listen. That's someone who's found us. That's great. Very encouraging. Thank yeah, you. And we, okay. So if you need the Thrive devotional, go over to the website. You know how to find it. Uh, we've got Mrs. Jarrow. I don't know who you are, Mrs. Jarrow. Five stars. I've been a Christian for 30 years. And I've not ever had such a comprehensive teaching of the Bible. Thanks to Dr. Matthew Jacoby and DJ Payne for an interesting and easy to listen to and sometimes humorous podcast. Accompanying devotional, also a must. Keep up the great work. Oh, that's great. How good is that? Two more. I'm going to give you two more because I see your head's head's getting a little bit big. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoyable five stars from Marky. Matt and DJ, I absolutely love the deep discussions you guys have had and the rabbit holes you guys down go down. This podcast has made me get excited to read the Bible again. All caps. Thank you so much. That's great. That's yeah. That's that's, that's the type of review yeah. we want to hear. And then uh, last one here. Highlight. This is from Flick. Highlight, five stars. This podcast has become the highlight of my weekend. I'm really benefiting from the wise teaching and practical discussion. Love it from Flick. That's great. Thank you so much for those for that encouragement. Yeah. It goes so a long good. way. Yeah. It goes a long does, way. Yeah. And the other thing I want to I want to tell, and you hear me say this sometimes, if you listen all the way through to the end of the podcast, I'll often say, hey, give us a review on 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 Apple Podcasts because 
through the algorithm algorithms that Apple uses, if you recommend us and rate us five stars, we actually go higher in the rankings and people find us and we get recommended. So oh, that's, that's why I'm highlighting it there. Now, on to the actual podcast itself. Mm. Matt, we've got to get through the last three chapters of Matthew, of the Gospel of Matthew, over this episode and the next episode. Mm. Be right. we'll, you're, we'll, you're looking very confident over there. There is a lot. Matthew 26, the chapter of mm. Matthew 26, is a monster chapter. It is so big. Yeah. There's so much in it. So we'll see how we go. We're going to finish it over the next two episodes. So I just want to do a quick recap, Matt, of where we've been over the last few yeah. weeks. Matthew 21, we see Jesus' triumphant entry and he clears the temple and he begins this last final phase of his ministry mm. in Jerusalem. Chapter 22, he starts giving parables and also arguments, as in you know, uh, you know, different arguments he's having with different religious leaders in Jerusalem. Chapter twenty three is the seven woes from mm. Christ to the to the to the leaders. Chapters twenty four and twenty five, the Olivet Discourse. Twenty four being about Jesus foretelling about the future of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Mm. Chapter twenty five, we finished last week with parables about the end, and then the final judgment, the sheep and the goats. Yeah. Very climactic finish yeah. there. That's where we finished last yeah. week. We start in at 26, cut straight to the yeah. chase. There's a plot to kill Jesus. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the text goes in Matthew 25 from these pictures of Jesus judging humanity and then we in from 26 we go to humanity judging Jesus. <laughs> and those two are related. How we judge Jesus is how we, uh, how we are judged. So um, the flow of the text here is, uh, is important. It goes straight uh, to talking about um, in the, the Passover Jesus announces is coming and uh, this is when I'm going to be taken in and killed. Now you've got to remember the disciples still cannot fathom this. They, they just don't get this. This is not, I mean, they've heard him say this a number of times. Uh, they don't, they actually don't want to say anything because you know what happened when Peter said something yes. strong about this. He was rebuked mm. uh, very strongly. So mm. they, they daren't say anything about this. So they just hold on to their confusion, I'm sure. Um, and then uh, we have this uh, episode um, that again is seen as like a, a prophetic um, statement, uh, you know, foreshadowing Jesus' burial because one of the things uh, when someone died and is buried is that you anoint the body exactly. with, with perfume. And so um, the, uh, this woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume and she poured it on his head. Um, <clears throat> perfume in any case was, was a, a luxury item. Mm. Remember, these aren't times – these are times when uh, – well – the people didn't have uh, running water, yeah, running water or deodorant yeah. or even soap. You know? Yes, so, so most people smelled pretty bad. bad. <laughs> so it was um, a, it was a more pungent time. So instead of you know, as as was the customs in the in you know in the Middle East and all of yeah. all of that region there, people would often clean themselves or keep themselves smelling okay with oil. Yeah, that's you right. You know, with yeah. different types of oil yeah. and perfumed oil. Yeah, and so perfume, you know, is something. And, and I think this is an amazing gesture because this woman who has this perfume, I mean, this is, you know, this is the difference between, um, you know, for this woman, this perfume is an opportunity to not be uh, among the smelly masses. This is an opportunity yeah. for her to feel beautiful and and to, uh, to be different, you know, to stand out of the crowd. Mm. But what does she do? She takes the perfume and she pours it over Jesus. Mm. And I think it's a beautiful 
gesture of of her forsaking her, her own needs and her own desire to feel beautiful and 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 stand out and be attractive and actually to give that over to Jesus yeah. but it also then becomes this prophetic uh, foreshadowing of oh, Jesus' death and burial. Exactly, exactly. And he, and he, um, you know, he and he makes it very clear. Jesus sees exactly what's going on. He makes a point of yeah, it. That's that right. This is it. So this is. It's also there's something very um, uh, beautiful in the narrative of this <coughs> because we know that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry or near the beginning of Jesus' yeah. ministry, I don't think it's in the book of Matthew that Jesus is anointed with oil. On his, on you know, wasn't it on his feet at, at one point? Yeah, the- a woman. Um, yeah, and uh, well, that's in a parallel account, um, uh, possibly. Well, there's a parallel account in Mark 14, but there's also this um, account in Luke chapter seven and John 12. So, so that they're. they're w- are they all around the end time? I thought one was a bit said yeah, a bit earlier. Yeah. Well, well, the Luke chapter seven one is is earlier. It's hard yeah. to know with the Gospels because yes. they do order things uh, slightly different yeah. uh, in slightly different ways. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, it's it's an it's a beautiful gesture yeah. of 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 worship. Um, interestingly, this then contrasts uh, the the action of this woman in honouring Jesus like this then mm. contrasts what we now read about Judas. Yeah. Uh, and and obviously it was Judas with maybe a few of the other guys as well, but because it says the disciples were indignant. So Judas being the guy who's holding the money bag that we find that in, in, the, in other Yeah, in other that's parts, right, yeah. He's the one saying, hang on, hang on, hang on, where's the money? Where's the money going for this? What a waste yeah. of money. yeah. And do you reckon this was the turning point where Jesus just was was dead dead set looking at him saying, mm. this woman's deed will be remembered and Judas yeah. goes out? Yeah, Judas. Okay, well, let's talk about Judas because <laughs> I think this is an interesting subject. Oh. So what, I mean, uh, it says elsewhere, you know, it talks about Satan entering uh, Judas. Mm. But, but of course, you know, the devil works through temptation and gains a foothold through temptation. So what is Judas's? Deal. What what what's going on with Judas? Well, um, you know, Judas is uh, he joins Jesus in like the other disciples, thinking he is uh, going to become the Messiah. He's obviously this is kind of reading between the lines, and and this is speculation, yeah. but uh, but I think it's it's sort of educated conjecture. Mm. Um, he, he's very invested in Jesus as this one that's going to. You know, come and set up, set himself up as the king of Israel is going to drive out the Romans. That whole revolutionary endeavor. No doubt, Judas was invested in that. So all of this business of Jesus talking about suffering and and dying, um, uh, Judas is either realizing now that Jesus isn't the Messiah. There's there's a couple of possibilities here. Either he's realizing, okay, he's not the Messiah. Then that, that he's not he's not the kind of Messiah that I I am after. Yep. And maybe he did get the message. You know, maybe he did get the message of the donkey riding in on the donkey, or yeah. uh, that 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 this doesn't accord with his um, his desires and expectations. Um, the other possibility is that Judas wants to force things to a head. Maybe he thinks that okay. He's going to be taken in uh, by the by the chief priest, and this is the moment when this is going to be the final showdown that is going to um, cause Jesus to 
sort of reveal his the fullness of his power. Yeah. He's going to destroy his enemies in one last showdown. So maybe he wants to force yeah. this showdown. And that's what I've always read it as. You know, yeah. the, and I know there's a bit of, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, a romantic, there's a, not the right word, but a sort of a romantic way of reading it, as in yeah. like you're putting a bit of a backstory <laughs> for Judas. And to fast forward a little bit into the next chapter, Judas, is, Judas does have remorse, like he is filled with remorse. Yeah. It, it says it's filled. he's filled with remorse when he realises that his little plan, this yeah. is me, con- yeah. me assuming yeah. that yeah. this is his motivation, yeah. Jesus is going to die. He knows, right, yeah. right, right, Jesus has been saying he's going to die. This is what he's, oh, no, I've done the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think that's why this this sort of schema, that, that way of understanding it, yeah. just makes a bit of sense with the story because – I mean, look, one possibility is that he realises Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's followed him all this time and now he just wants to get out of it what, what he can. You and know, he so makes some money. Yeah, and he's going to make some money. And we've it. already heard that he likes the money. He's the treasurer. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that is a possibility and, um, uh, you know, that's an option that, that um, some commentaries uh, present. But then why does he immediately – why is he immediately so broken over – the the result of the, the verdict against yeah. Jesus of the yeah. Sanhedrin and and I think um, to me it would make more sense to see that uh, that response as a response to the fact that things didn't go the way that he thought that yeah. perhaps he thought this would be the big showdown I mean maybe it's a bit of both yeah you know and and also without getting all you know ooh, you know spooky movie about it yeah. I mean the Bible makes it clear that he was he was demonized. By you know, if not the very you yeah. know very very Satan himself, like he was he was demonized, and this was yeah. his motivations were brought along by the enemy. At, at at a certain point, once those deeds are done, and he comes to his right senses out of that, yeah. he would be he yeah. would be totally of a shell of a person. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe I mean maybe it's hand because the the text um, comes back to Judas at a couple of points. Maybe yeah. it'd be good to just uh, say a few things about. Uh, Judas, so that we can have that yeah. seal. Because one of the things that's interesting is the fact that remember there, there are there are kind of two people in this story. Well, everyone um, turns away from Jesus yeah. uh, in in the end, and, um, and but you know Peter is in some senses as bad. Yeah. I mean, he, he you know he doesn't betray Jesus for money, but he adamantly denies even knowing Jesus, right? Mm. So um, so what's the difference between Peter and Judas in this, um, in this narrative? Well, um, Judas is committed uh, to this revolutionary agenda. I mean, there's no grace in that revolutionary agenda. It's an agenda of judgment, right? Mm. We're going to rise up against the Romans. We're going to be the instruments of God's judgment. Yep. And he's committed to that. Now, uh, when you live in this space of judgment, then when suddenly you realise that you are the condemned one, there's no hope. Mm. I think the difference with Peter is that he he is, yes, he, he makes this terrible mistake, he denies Jesus, but the reason why he doesn't despair and commit suicide like Judas does mm. Is that he gets enough of the grace thing? You know what I mean. He he can grasp the and and actually Peter experiences this yeah. Um, later. Yeah, this this amazing element of grace and transformation. And Jesus, in fact, um, 
preempts that. Yeah. You know, Satan has asked to sift you of wheat, but I've prayed for you. Mm. And um, and so, um, yeah, there is this kind of, um, there's this uh, lifeline of grace that he is able to take hold of, that Judas is just not within Judas's field of vision. Yeah, I mean, and that's looking at it from a very... Yeah, you know, we're you know we're looking at it from a very earth earthly yeah, yeah, sort of right. thing. Yeah. Because if you look at it in other verses in in yeah. in the Bible about Judas, it's like no God predestined him to yeah, be yeah, this role, right. and yeah. like and God predestined. That's right. And it's like whoa, you know. And, takes- and you can look at things from both yes. from both those angles. So there is a sense, you know, because Jesus declares a woe on the one who betrays the Son of Man. Yeah. So so there's a sense in which his fate was sealed, but um, but the way that God's sovereignty works is never to exclude human agency and yeah. the 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 human right to self-determination in, in a, mm. from that earthly point of view. I mean, God yeah. ultimately is sovereign, um, but it also takes into consideration the decisions that we make. So, look, it's just interesting because there are these perspectives around uh, around Judas and um, and the, the other thing. The other thing to point out that that really mm. blew me away. I remember you know growing up on these Bible stories, and when I started really studying it for myself, I realised and and through different uh, you know concordances and different teachings yeah. teachings like that, Judas was really close to Jesus. Mm. You know, Judas is mentioned a lot, not just because of the, you know, you know, yeah. because of that, but he was he was close. And even in, you know, someone outlaying and like drawing and l- looking at how the Last Supper would have worked and how they were, you know, they didn't sit at a table yeah. like we see in paintings or anything. They were lying down as in yeah. the custom. For, Jude- for Jesus to be able to pass the bread to someone right next to him. Yeah. I remember someone preaching once and saying Judas would have been on Jesus's right hand side, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Judas was right there next to him, yeah. and for Jesus to be able to whisper to him, "Go, do what you have to do," and everyone's going, "What's happening?" They didn't hear yeah. it. Yeah. It's because he was so close. Yeah, that's you know? right. And, and there's I'm a bit like, of a hubbub, and people are talking, and it's, yeah. a, it's a dinner, and and, and that's sort of because I grew up imagining like Dick Dastardly twirling a mustache in the corner yeah. Yeah. all the time. No, that's right. But no, he was right there, trusted with the money, trusted yeah. to look after everybody, yeah. passionately. I believe passionately yeah. <laughs> wanting Jesus to rise up to his expectations. Yeah. yeah. And when it doesn't happen, oh, it's just a Yeah, that's right. A destruction, a road to destruction. Yeah. It says, I don't know if people uh have noticed this uh in uh well, it says that he he hanged himself um mm. in twenty seven verse five. Um you know, he uh, uh and and yet in Acts yeah. One eighteen, it says, um, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a, uh, bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Thank you very much. Beautiful axe. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, um, field Al-Kadama, of blood. The, that is the field of blood. And I've Look, heard people trot this out as, see, contradictions. Yeah, no, Your Bible is a contradiction here. Yeah, it's probably. Look, with the kind of ropes. I mean. It, I think he was probably discovered on the ground, yeah. having with dropped. the rope having dropped, and and yeah. that's the way that he. Yeah. So, yeah. I, um, I don't think that's a difficult. I just just in case anyone uh, anyone noticed that. Now the other um, interesting thing is the that's I think worth a mention is the thirty pieces of silver. Yeah. Um, this in Exodus twenty one. This is the price to be paid to the owner of a slave gored by an ox. Uh, so it's. It, you know, I mean, 
don't want to say too much about uh, Exodus um, and the the allowance for for slavery as a part of yes uh, because in 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 the biblical law um, you know slaves were to be treated far better than they were hmm. you know anyway than what we think of slaves than, than what we yeah. think of slaves yeah. so it was certainly the I, I'm, this is not a point at which to comment on slavery but the point is is that um, it's it's like the price of a slave in a sense and 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 I think that 30 pieces of silver um, is significant as betrayal money you know he's is yeah. he's, he's selling him as he were and I think um a Jacob uh, sorry Joseph was yes. sold by his brothers for um I think less than that it about 20 uh, uh, to 20 shekels he was sold for. So um, so it's more than this, but it's still it, there's still this association with this price of a slave yes and and being sold into yeah. slavery. Yeah. And this is I mean the, the connection actually with with Joseph here is important because um, th- there th- there is this narrative patterning between what happens to Jesus and Joseph because the Joseph story, I mean Genesis preempts all of the themes in the rest of the Bible in the book mm. of Genesis and um, and the the Joseph narrative, Preempts this idea of Jesus being sold. You know, Joseph gets sold over and, in, in, and innocent. The, you know, God's chosen yeah. yeah. and um, and then is able to fulfill through that is able to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, yep. which is I will bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Mm. So this kind of happens in a penultimate sense with Joseph, but ultimately with Jesus. Mm. And what Joseph says to his brothers in, uh, I think it's Genesis 50, where he says, what you meant for evil, yeah. God has used for good. Exactly mm. the same thing happens here. So what? So well. Jesus is sold as a, you know, as a slave in a sense mm. with this price of a slave mm. uh, over, he's, well, he's given over to the authorities, but ultimately, is handed over to the Gentiles, mm. um, but what his bro- by his brothers, right? He's sold by his brothers, mm. and yet what they meant for evil, God has used for good. So just the narrative patterning there, I think, is really uh, is really profound. Definitely. Um, so we so we're in the Last Supper. Mm. We're in the Last Supper, and and you know, and Jesus is again foretelling, "My time has come." You know, I tell you the truth: one of you is going to betray me. Judas, you know, says. Yeah. I'm the one, aren't I? You know, and he's and and it's almost you could almost hear Judas going, "All right, he's down with the plan. He knows what's going on." Yep. You know, he keeps telling me that one of us is going to betray me. I'm yep. going to do it. It's, it's time to go, and off he goes to do it. And then you know they and have I the wonder, last supper. I wonder if he's thinking, "Oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is down with my plan." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, uh, That's what I've thought. That's what I've sort of come to. I know it's a bit romantic and a bit movie type of thing, but I just yeah. It's one of those things. This is the, the the lesson for me again. Reading Judas, yet again, and it's a pattern that we've talked about often and often again. Is that idea of coming to God with your own expectations yeah. about what He has yeah. to do for you, yeah. or what He has, how it has to be fair, yeah. how you expect things to go, and He's going to thwart it. And if you stay headlong, and Judas is the ultimate example, mm. if you headlong will not shake what you believe God is going to do, you're yeah. going to force a situation. Ultimately, you will come completely undone. Yeah, it's like that uh, that proverb or saying: if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think the commitment of these people, and, and particularly Judas, to his particular plan. Mm. And as we've said, that was the case with all the disciples. But Judas is just on this. Uh, is just fixated by this, and yeah. so um, 
so he leaves he leaves the supper and you know it goes on without him which is interesting um that they have this moment of instituting the new covenant you know Judas is is absent yes. this is i mean they're celebrating the passover this is an incredibly poignant moment um the last supper because they are inst- they are celebrating the passover which is looking back to the exodus and celebrating the exodus but now it becomes this Amazing. this Moment, this yep. turning point moment, this sort of what you would call a chiastic moment, mm. where break the, break that word down for uh, us. It, it's like a, a chi is a letter, like an X. Okay. You know, where the where where the narrative comes down to this moment, this pinpoint moment, and then uh, and something it. else comes yes. out the other side. So okay. it's this this Passover is is celebrating something in the past, but now it's also. Um, opening something for could the future. Could you? Could you? Is a is a. Tell me if this is a bad word picture. With the, yeah. I was just watching your hand motions there. I'm trying to explain it to everybody. <laughs> the Pink Floyd album, where you have right. a prism of yeah, light, okay. you have a pr- glass prism. Good. A white beam comes onto it, and then out of that white beam. Now, the white beam in this analogy would be the the tradition of the Passover yeah. Exodus. Jesus is the prism of light, and yeah. then out of that, out of that one yeah. thing becomes. Bang! A rainbow that is the yeah, new covenant. That's a good picture. I'm glad you could fit Pink Floyd in there. I'll repent. Pink Floyd fan. When I'll I was repent. a teenager in the '80s. Um, I won't hold that against yeah, that's you. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Look up if you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, you know, you can uh, Google put, Pink Floyd. I'll, I'll put a link. To, I'll put a link to that. I can't believe <laughs> oh, we're going to put a link to that anyway, album cover um, in the show notes. So, getting back to it, he, he yeah, Jesus. That's right. Jesus is setting up the new covenant. Yep. This is what we remember now when we have when we have our a lot of a lot of traditions will call it communion. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Eastern Orthodox and uh, Catholic churches will call it, you know, a lot of different names, yeah. different things like that. Uh, you know, the, with the Eucharist and having different, you know, <coughs> memorial yeah. about that. Um so he he sets that up now really really quickly and I think yeah. we're going to have to, you know, really touch on this very briefly. I'm ama- I, I was chatting to a young um, Catholic guy not long ago, and I'm trying yeah. to get in contact with him. He's just right. he's he's incredibly young, yeah, eighteen years old. You know, yeah, in the pre and he's heading into the priesthood. Yeah. He's studying now. He's one of this batch, and I've and I've met some of his classmates and seen photos and videos of their classmates from around the world. These eighteen and nineteen year old young men who are zealous for God. I am blown away about their yeah. passion, their knowledge, and yeah. everything of the, the Bible. The first point of discussion with me when they find out that I, you know, yeah. know the scriptures, you yeah, know, in yeah. their words, and and passionate about God, first thing they point up is the blood, of, the, the body of Christ. Oh right, okay. In communion, yeah, yeah. I can I could understand that. Yeah. And I was like, I was amazed that that was the first yeah. point of contention between us. Yeah, and, and, and again to to explain that they believe in the doctrine of trans transubstantiation, where the elements. Um, the elements change into the body and blood of of Jesus. Now it's complicated the sense in which they think that. Yes, um, and so the the actual offering of the mass. That's why in Catholic churches you have the altar there because there's a sense that Jesus is being offered up again. That there is this uh, atone atonement thing happening mm. right there and then mm. as as the bread is broken and and the the wine is presented. Uh, this is a sacrifice being presented on the altar yeah. and then communicated to the people. So that's the you know that's the theology of the Catholic Mass. Of course, I think it's important in understanding other traditions. Protestants 
and I mean, this goes on both sides of the arguments, but we're very good at forming a caricature of what yes. the other side believes yeah. and then rejecting the caricature. I think it's really important that we understand uh, why they think that. But now I'm not going to talk to that now. I just put that yeah. in there as a footnote. Yeah. What has what can tend to happen though in in the Protestant tradition, particularly in the evangelical tradition, I think we pendulum swing way too far. Yeah. Um, we treat the Lord so because this uh, this um, what Jesus says here, I think, becomes a key. In fact, the context of this being instituted in the light of the Passover, there's this connection between the Lord's Supper and the Passover. Yes. So I think that's a key to understanding the significance of the Lord's Supper. Now. Um, uh, in in a lot of um, evangelical traditions, the Lord's Supper it's just a tool to remember. Yep. It's like a, a statue or a, yep. or a. Now, I think we need to treat it as more than that. Mm. Um, uh, similar to, to baptism, I mean, we think there's a real. It, it, we, we don't, we, you know, we don't think that baptism makes you a Christian, but we do think it's something that it's it's a mechanism that you use to declare something. Mm. Um, about your commitment to God and, and through baptism, God genuinely declares his commitment to mm, us, you know, mm, through mm. that symbol. Well, the, um, the, the Passover wasn't, celebration of the Passover wasn't just a remembrance in, in our sense. Well, actually, when Hebrew people thought about remembering something, it wasn't just, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. remember that and remember yeah. this. It wasn't just this intellectual remembering. It was a re, it was a, Covenant reconfirmation yep. ceremony. Mm. That's really important. It was them reconfirming their covenant with God, reconnecting mm. with their covenant with God. It was a it was a mechanism for recommitment. Yes. So, like you know, like signing on the you know uh, uh, signing on the dot of we're going to we we formally recommit. Yeah. This is why you know Paul when he discusses this in um, one Corinthians eleven. He says this is a really serious thing, and you yeah. need to make sure that you do this in a worthy manner. That you understand what you're doing, mm. um, because, and and if it's just a remembrance, then why why what's the big deal? But yeah. it's not just it's not just remembering in the intellectual sense. It's actually you're signing on the dotted line here. I mean, you yeah. you are. It's actually a covenant reconfirmation mm. thing that's going on here. Mm. So when we when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, however we do that. We're actually recon. It, it's, it's using those symbols. We we are reconfirming our commitment to God, and through those symbols, He is reconfirming His commitment with us. Yeah, it's a two way. It's a two way right. process. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's almost. Tell me if I've got it wrong. Again, I'm going to use one of my word pictures here. But as you were talking there, I, I thought, you know, what what covenant or commitments I've made in my life. There yeah. hasn't been many. Yeah. One of the most important ones is to my wife. Yeah. You know, type of thing. And and every now and then, a photo might pop up on Facebook to say, oh, yeah. remember this, you know, like yeah, remember yeah. that yeah. a year ago or yeah. whatever. And you go, yeah, whatever, and you move on. But but every now and then on an anniversary, we might go away together or have a date yeah. and you actually spend time yeah. and you really remember together yeah. and you talk together and you remember yeah. how important and you almost recommit yourselves in that moment of remembering what it was all about. Yeah. Communion maybe is something. Well, it's, it's a bit more. It's even a bit more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it's. A lot it's, more. Than- it's it's more than just remembering. It, it's it's a formal act of reconfirmation. It's like yes. I'm recommitting myself. Okay, um, that's the important thing about it. Again, how we do it is less important. You know, I mean, the other we could. This is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, that 
Actually, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because <laughs> I just realised how much we're going to get through. Okay, okay. Uh, but that, that in, in any case, is the significance of, uh, of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, however yeah. you want to put that. And, um, and it's important, I think, that we connect with the fullness of that meaning. DJ here to interrupt you for just one moment. I hope you're enjoying the discussion between Matthew and myself about chapter 26 of the Gospel of Matthew. Oh boy, it's been an emotional roller coaster. But you know, talking about emotional roller coasters, God has given us a guidebook. And it's the book of Psalms. And I've already told you how much Dr. Matthew Jacoby, your friend and mine, has spent his life devoted to the Psalms and that's why he's written the book Deeper Places and we're proud to announce not only a revised edition with a whole new chapter in it but an amazing set of videos that we have just finished editing and the videos go through the chapters of the book and it's for small group or personal study where Matthew gives you extra information and pulls out some content and draws you in closer about those deeper places with God. Now, I might be biased about this, but I got so much out of editing these videos of Matthew going through the book that I know that you're going to get something out of it as well. As I speak, the videos have been exported. We are just waiting to match up the sounds and hopefully by the time you hear this, they're available. To sign up and to get the videos, head over to Thrive Today. .net.au. That's our home on the web. If you head over there and you want to sign up just to be notified when they're out, it's really simple to do. Give us your email address at thrivetoday.net.au. All right, let's get back into the podcast. It's DJ here with Matt Jacoby, and thank you so much for tuning in to Thrive Deeper. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, and Matt, we have got a long way to get through. This is the last uh, couple of episodes we're doing on the Gospel of Matthew, and we're at the point now where at the Last Supper, they have finished. Jesus has set up this new, uh, new covenant, explained what is happening on top of the Passover, and then he ta- mm. turns to Peter. Yeah. And we get... Gee, Peter must have been shocked. Yeah. Uh, when, cause, I mean, he says you're all going to... Um, he says in verse 31, uh, that this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for this is written, I'll strike the shepherd. The sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's from Zechariah 13. Um, and... Peter says, I mean, Peter just can't conceive of this. Peter thinks that he's the most dedicated, committed guy on earth. And this is, uh, he's going to have this moment of realising that he's not nearly as committed as he thinks he is. And, And Jesus is okay with him having that experience. Like Jesus knows this about him. Yeah. And because Jesus knows this about him, it's really important that Peter realises that as well. You know, and yeah. this is an important realisation. Sometimes we need to realise um, our lack of commitment. Mm. Like we need to recognise that we're not nearly as committed as we think we are. Yeah. Like I, you know, I think I'm pretty committed, but it's really healthy for me to realise where the autonomy and the self-dependence and all of these things 
have become habitual again. Yeah. So it's this this thing of allowing ourselves to see the worst in ourselves. Yeah. And, and this, how, even how we justify the yeah, worst. Yeah, that's right. You know, because yeah. again, we're going to get into it, but you know that those points that Peter does betray Christ. Yeah. There's often there would, he would be like, no, "This is not what Jesus did. like." He would just well, deny yeah, Christ. He didn't. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, not betray. Sorry, deny, yeah. deny. Yeah. And so when he gets to those points, you know, the the justification until that till that you know the, yeah. he, he comes home. Oh, such a powerful yeah. and, picture. And Jesus says to him, you know, before. Um, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And, and all of the, and other, all the other disciples says the same. Me too. And he yes, does Peter. explicitly that. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he explicitly yeah. disowns uh, Jesus. But the but thing it, is, is that he experiences grace. This is the thing about Peter. Like he sees the worst in himself. Mm. He, he sees what he's capable of. He is restored. After you know, he he is restored and given grace, mm. and then actually Peter does give his life in the end. Oh, and ultimately, as Jesus had already alluded to with other disciples, yeah. promising their very lives on it. Yeah, Jesus was like, "Your time will come." Yeah, and and I think there's an echo in this for all of the disciples yeah. here, yeah. vowing, "No, no, we're never going to die. You know, we're going to die." Yeah, and well, according to tradition, um, Peter was crucified as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so he of, of all of the deaths of the disciples, his most resembles Jesus. And in fact, tradition has it that when they went to crucify him, he asked to be crucified upside down mm, mm. because he didn't want to. He, be he didn't similar. want to didn't, yeah. ta- take that. Uh, you know, or, or whatever, some sort of sacrilegious place, yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, I didn't want to do it like that. Oh boy. Okay. So keep that in the back of your mind because that's going to come up again. And now we get into the the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. And, um, you know, we get yeah. this – again, it's like the curtain – this is an amazing time. This is like heaven on earth. The curtain is pulled back from, you know, the the the, the things that we think are reality mm. and we see, you know, we see Jesus yeah. in relationship as God, as man, pouring out his heart to his yeah. Father. It is amazing. Yeah. Now, the language here is, is important um, because he says – um, in verse 39, it says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but that you will. And then he comes back and in verse 42, it says, yeah, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So I, I want us just to think about this. Mm. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, what is he talking about? What what cup is he talking about? Well, let me read you a couple of scriptures because this symbol, uh, like a lot of symbols, carries right through scripture, yeah. this symbol of the cup. Cup of suffering. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's actually more than that. It's, it's okay. a cup of judgment, actually. Okay. And throughout, in the uh, prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah, there is this picture that is used um, to describe how judgment works because the, the, the issue for the people of God in the uh, in Old Testament times is that there's all this evil out in, in the world, but God doesn't seem to be doing anything. Why isn't God judging evildoers? That was the big yes. issue that they had. So through Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, God says, no, I am going to. All, all of the judgment is being stored up yep. in this cup, yes. right? And and that become and in fact you know it talks about even in relation to God's people uh, 
Israel, that there's this sense of the cup. Let me let me read to you, because I think this is really significant. Great. Uh, in Jeremiah 25 um, from verse 15, it says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Verse 17, so I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. This is, uh, you know, a picture of the sort of, of, of the last judgment. Um, and then it go, goes on, uh, you know, Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials to make them a ruin and an object of horror and a scorn and a curse as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it's talking about all of the nations, including God's people, right? <laughs> this yes. is, and so it's... The, the, the shock of this chapter is that, you know, Judah is being lumped in with all of these other nations. And, there, and there's this picture of judgment, right, yeah. of stored up in this cup, yeah. and that one day they're going to have to drink from that cup. And it goes on, um, tell them in verse 27, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, drink, get drunk, and vomit, and fall, and rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, you must drink it. See, I'm about to bring disaster on the city that bears mine, and so it goes on. Mm. So this is the background to this, to this idea. Mm. When Jesus says, when he's talking about this cup, mm. right, he's talking about the, the judgment that had been foreshadowed there by uh, Jeremiah. And he's, he's saying, let this cup be taken away, this cup that we, we all deserve, but if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then let your will be done. Well, it was not possible, hmm. clearly, for that cup to be taken away hmm. unless Jesus drank it. This is a really key uh, and central bit of theology here, that it was necessary. See, we might ask the question, you know, why can't God just forgive people? Why does Jesus have to suffer and die? Hmm. Well, it's because God is just. God can't be, yes, God can do anything, but God cannot be other than who God is. And justice yeah. is an aspect of, of who God is, it's an essential attribute of God. So God just does, God can't just sweep justice aside. What God does is that he fulfills justice. Yeah. So this cup, uh, you know, according to the principle of sowing and reaping, people had to, we have to reap what we sow. But yeah. the good news is is that Jesus took the cup. Jesus reaped what we sowed. Mm. He took the cup on our behalf. That's what's happening here. And it's like a fulfilment of that promise. I mean, God's not going to make a promise to the people and a promise to himself yeah. about this cup. That's right. And I, and I, and yeah, that's amazing. It's a and cup of, is, it's a cup of judgment, but yeah. Jesus in that first prayer calls it he calls it his cup of suffering. Yeah. Like it's a, it's the judgment, it's the right yeah, judgment, right. but I've got to suffer. But he's through taking it. it. So it's he amazing. is, you know, he is willing uh, to take this, and this is what makes this is his anguish here. Hmm. This is the anguish because he is about to take the cup described by Jeremiah, and he is about to drink the fullness of this. So this isn't just a matter of his consciousness of the fact that he's going to suffer physically. There's actually something way worse here, and this is the fact that he is actually going to bear the just anger of God against. Uh, against the sins of the world on our behalf. This is what he's about to do. Yeah. Amazing. This, uh, again, and the other part of it, like, you know, the opening gambit of this whole whole bit is him telling his very closest friends, 
my soul is crushed with grief within me. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And this is, this is uh, in Isaiah 51, again, using this imagery uh, from Isaiah 51 from verse 21 says, Therefore hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what uh, your sovereign Lord says. Your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. Uh, from that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. Mm. And, um, and so, again, how... How is this the case? It's because ultimately because Jesus would take this cup. This is fundamentally, mm. you know, the, the cornerstone and the bedrock yeah. of what the gospel is and, what, yeah. you know, why we do what we do. All right, let's let, look, we could just camp out here for the rest. Let's, we've got to fly through. Right from there, Jesus is betrayed. Judas comes in, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with the leading priests and the elders and, uh, you know, he's given the sign, the sign of the kiss. Judas just walks yep. straight up to him, greetings, Rabbi, greetings, teacher, and gives him a kiss. And, uh, you know, and Jesus yep. says, my friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, the kiss is, it's sort of tragically ironic, isn't it? Because yeah. he, it, it was a sign of brotherhood. Mm. Um, and yet uh, this becomes the identifier. Now, by the way, the reason why, you know, why couldn't they just take Jesus? Why does it require Judas to betray Jesus for them to get hold of Jesus? Yeah. Well, Jesus had uh, a big following. They had observed this. And so they want to do, they need to do this in an underhanded way. Yeah. They can't go out and take him with all the crowds around him. And it's very difficult to get Jesus without the crowds. Mm. Uh, and so they need to, they need an they insider. They need to find the right time. They need yeah. an insider to know when is the right place and the yeah. right time to actually nab Jesus mm. so that there won't be this uprising mm. against um, the. The Jewish leaders, and I'm also, and I'm also thinking in that, in that, you know, the religious Jewish people of the time, in some way, they would say, well, it's, you know, not their fault. Yeah. They, they're now passing off that blame. That sin is now Judas's. Yeah. So they're somehow, you know, yeah. away from that. That's even. right. And and look, it's you know, and, and at this point too, it's dark. Yes. Um. You know, we're we're not in a park here with lampstands. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, it, it was so unique. I mean, it's such a tight brotherhood thing to kiss. Yeah. You know, to kiss someone. Judas isn't walking in and everyone's coming for a kiss from him. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 I'll just wait. I'll go to Jesus and kiss him. Because that's, that's you know, something that he he knew that he had that relationship yeah. with him. He yeah, was that close right. with him. Yeah. So they grab him. We see the we see the bit there with the sword, you know, the, yeah. uh, the old sword. Now we know from other passages that's Peter. Yeah, that's Peter. And, and again, here, he, he, this is just an, yet another indication that they don't get it. Right. Oh, so this is the yeah. start of the fight. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no. There's no fight. We're I've not got, fighting. I've got my sword ready. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've had it up the um, sleeve the whole time. Yeah, and and you know Jesus' response: Put your sword back in its place. Yeah. You know, and it says, "For for all who draw the sword will die by the sword." I mean, that statement alone yeah. is so important because, you know, the, uh, the the Jewish people, you know, are going to in in the sixties. Within this generation, are going to rise up against the Romans. They're going to take up the sword, and they are going to fall at yeah. the point of the sword. So again, this is a, a very much a prophetic statement. And um, you know, Jesus says to them in verse fifty-five. It says here, you know, Jesus says said to the soldiers, to the crowd of soldiers, "Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me?" Um, 
well, that's exactly what he hadn't been. That's yeah. exactly what he isn't doing. Yeah. And yet they're treating him like he is. Yeah. And even Peter is thinking in that way. Yeah. And that final bit in that in that verse uh, there, verse fifty six, at the end, where he again he prophesies about the fulfilment of scripture, scriptures. Yeah. And at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Yeah, that's right. Bang. He's by himself so here he's from now on. Now, yeah. Yeah. We move. We move on. Jesus. Jesus is before mm-hmm. uh, the council. We get a snapshot of Je- uh, Jesus before the council. And this is the council of uh, high priests, uh, Caiaphas and the high priests. There. Yeah. Well, the Sanhedrin is is broader than that. It's um, Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, so the Pharisees are sort of the rabbis, the teachers, and then you've also got the priestly class there. So you've got this mixture uh, of of people that are basically the. It's this is the ruling court. Uh, presided over by the high priest. These guys uh, make the local decisions, but they are limited. They, there are certain decisions that they can't make. One of the decisions, one of the things they're not allowed to do is condemn, they're not allowed to condemn anyone to death without Romans. Yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, only Rome is uh, able to uh, sign off on that mm. and really do that. Mm. So if they, if, if they are going to implicate Jesus and execute Jesus, they're going to need to hand him over uh, to the Romans. But the um, the interesting thing about the uh, this trial of Jesus is the way that it clearly shows the... Because what's going to happen from this point on is that there's this polarisation effect. Mm. People are going to be polarised now. And uh, and this, this... Matthew wants to show here that... Jesus was condemned and given over by his brothers in a way that was no way justified. Okay, uh, and he he wants to and by and by brothers you mean the Jewish yeah, people? Yeah, that's right. Yes. And so he wants to, and this is I mean it's a countercultural point, but we need to understand why Matthew is doing this. He is going to highlight the enormity of what they actually did. That mm-hmm. they he, he wants to implicate. Uh, his brothers, the Jewish people, in this. But here's the thing: not this is not uh, he's not an anti-Semitic, of course, because Matthew or Levi, who's writing this, is is a Jew. He wants his own people to realize what they did, so that they can uh, find grace. Hmm. Uh, so this is this is about helping his people. Matthew, as the gospel writer, wants his Jewish readers to take responsibility for what was done to find grace. Mm. And and so what you see in the um, suffering and death narrative that uh, Matthew brings is there is this theme of the absolute responsibility of his brothers for doing what they did. This is emphasised actually when we get over into the uh, – when Pilate brings Jim, we'll say oh. something about that in a moment with this decision between Jesus and yeah. Barabbas and yeah, the way yeah. that that unfolds. But we'll say something about that in uh, a moment. So so to cut a very long story short, and, and for, depending on how you look at it, of course for us today we look at this in this trial as a bit of a, you know, just a facade. It's a mock trial. They've set it all up themselves. They've got everything. They've been rehearsing this. They know what's going to happen. Mm. But then Jesus, he, he doesn't – this is the fascinating part. He – goes headlong into it. And when they finally get him to say something, he says in verse 64, you've said it. You know, I am the Messiah. And in the future, you'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Boom. Yeah. He signed. That's him signing his own death yeah, warrant. Yeah, with that's him. right. And you can see the rest, the mm-hmm. high priest, they're tearing their clothes. They're putting on the horror, the show blasphemy. Yeah. We don't have to hear anymore. He's worthy of death. Yeah. And yet they had seen this demonstrated. This is not just a random guy coming yeah. out of the blue and saying, hey, this is who I am. Yes. I mean, he had fulfilled every scripture. He had mm. demonstrated the power of God. He'd, he, he, had, he had more than uh, backed up mm. his point. So he, he, his own life had borne witness to this, yet they are in the meantime getting these false witnesses yeah. uh, to say, to talk about. It's, it's, know, a, it's almost like he's, he's yeah. almost like Jesus is saying, yeah. cut the charade. Let me just yeah. help you here. Yeah. You're, embarrassing, how they, you're embarrassing how the yourselves. Fo- how the false witnesses twist his word. You know, he yeah. said that he would destroy the yeah. temple. And, yeah. Um, so, uh, so they're they're really looking for a reason to get rid of this guy, yeah. and um, and you know that it's it's look it's it's very tragic, um, and it gets gruesome pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it gets, gets gruesome very quickly. And you look in the meantime because it then after that it talks about out in the courtyard, Peter yes. is the only one that's he's keeping an eye on things, but. I mean, he he is realizing now the reality of this situation and what Jesus is up for, yeah. and you get this this um, little bit about him denying Jesus and in, adamantly in the end, yes, uh, you know, calling down curses and yeah. and vowing that he does I not don't know, know the I man. do not know this man, oh. and at that moment, um, it says that the, the rooster crows and and he's he just weeps bitterly, and and then after that you have. Judas going out yes. and, and hang this and hanging himself. again. It's it's that it's that yeah. same there. It's the part of the narrative early in the chapter. We're going to put Judas here yeah. and, and Peter here. That's right. We're going to put them next to each other because they're both really important. Yeah. And I personally believe they were both very close to Christ. Yeah. And how they respond yeah. out of this. And and in a sense, they're no. I mean, the, the interesting thing is is that point that they're not. There's not a good guy and a bad guy. They're no. both the bad guys. Yeah, but one finds grace and is restored. You know, that's the key mm. uh, to this. And I, I just love that picture because at that beginning, when Jesus is taken in the courts there into the into the you know into the system there, we see right at the beginning that Peter followed at a distance, seeing how it ends. He, he gets in, he slips in. He's the only one of the disciples that slips in, you know, and he's watching all of this goes on. And as he goes yeah. on, he can see what's happening. Yeah, and he's yeah. you can see, you can feel Peter's heart yeah. just falling out of the bottom of him. Yeah. Going, right. this is not what we thought was going to happen. Oh, he would have been devastated. But uh, yeah. absolutely devastated. There's nothing. There's nothing more dev- more dev- more devastating than the than the things that the bad things that people do to us yes. are the things that we see coming from that see that we see coming from ourselves. Yeah, that will devastate you far more. And Peter has that experience. Do you think? And we're going to close off with this, Pat. We've run out of time, but. So we've you know finishing here the chapter with you know this part yeah. of Peter and Peter and Jesus. I personally believe for me, in my walk, not just once or twice, but multitude of times mm. I have those Peter moments mm. where the cock crows in yeah. something and I go, oh, my goodness, I said I would never yeah. do this. Yeah. How important is that in our, in our walk? That is very important in our walk. And, in fact, the interesting thing is God puts us in situations even to allow us to realise that we're not nearly as committed as we are, but also to allow us to realise and see the worst in ourselves. Mm. And these these are situations. It's interesting what happens when we get put in these situations, um, these Peter situations mm. where we mouth off or we, we strike back at someone or uh, we, whatever it is, we see the worst come out in ourselves. What we tend to do is 
blame the situation. We tend to try to escape the situation. Mm. Um, uh, we, we, we condemn the situation. This situation is terrible. And, and really what's terrible is that we are in a terrible state <laughs> and, and the situation is just bringing that out, but we have this tendency to blame the situation on that. No, actually, um, God puts us in situations too, and I would put it this way, that press on the sore spots of our lives, that bring the infection to the surface. Mm. And we need to watch out for this because this is, this is an important part of God getting our attention and moving us forwards. And so we need to embrace these moments and allow these moments to lead us back to God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Because the, that moment of brokenness when you realise, like Peter, when you realise actually how bad you are, how, how poorly a state that you are in, that actually is the doorway to renewal right there. That's the doorway to renewal. It's like this is what the, the message right at the beginning of the gospel, John the Baptist, where does he lead the people to? to encounter God who's going to come to them in Jesus Christ. He leads them to the place of repentance. What we see here in Peter is that Peter is led to the place of repentance. Like this is Peter experiencing real contrition. He is weeping and that this is going to be, this is the turning point for Peter. Mm. The Peter that we read about in the book of Acts is a completely different Peter. We have people just trying to be touched by his shadow, mm. you know, because he, the, the power of God that is at work through this man. Mm. We see a completely different Peter in this, this amazing man in the book of Acts. What happened? This happened. Mm. Peter had this moment of breakdown, of um, being completely broken down, and this is the doorway to the next stage in people's lives. I would say to you that you need to allow God to show you the worst in yourself to lead you to that place of brokenness, what Psalm 51 calls the broken spirit and a contrite heart, that will be the doorway to renewal in your life. There's a theme for you, the doorway to renewal in your life. Oh, wow. So much there in Matthew 26. Well, on next week's episode, we got to fly through the last couple of chapters of Matthew. And I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been in contact with us over the last couple of weeks. It is great to hear from you. And as you heard from the beginning of the podcast, get out there and review and rate the podcast over in Apple iTunes. Five stars, please. It goes a long way. Trust me. You can write to us as well from thrivetoday.net.au. It's great hearing from you. I'm going to put it out there. This, uh, The people that listen all the way to the end to this spot here, I want you to get back to me. I want you to get in touch with me and let me know you listen all the way to the end. Very, very disheartened this week to find out there's a lot of people that don't listen all the way to the end. But you know what? I can take it. Until next week, <laughs> it's DJ for Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. 
Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.